Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches Volume 5, written by M.J.L. Evans and G.M. O'Connor. The conclusion to an exciting pirate tale. The Wheel of Terror comes to Port Royal. Pirates under Lauren de Groff seize hostages and the standoff begins. Capitan Laroche holds the waterfront as his men are trapped in the city. Allegiances change, and Lord Crisp stakes his claim on Port Royal and Atia, who intends to take a piece or two with her. The freebooters take Church Street, and the battle for the Brethren of the Coast begins. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches, Volume 5. Smoke on the water. Thick smoke billowed from all sides of Port Royal. City defences were depleted. Sloops, spider ships, flyboats, piraguas, and canoes had been arriving in the harbour for days. Pirates flooded the streets and taverns. Hostages were taken to be used as shields and bartering tools, while key areas of the government were captured. Royal Rook itched the skin beneath his eye patch. His good eye squinted to see through the hazy afternoon sun. The moment had come to seize the slave capital of the New World and declare it a Jacobite state in the name of King James. Revenge for the murder of Bartolomeo, Bart, Portuguese, was a high priority. Bart was not only the founder of the Brethren of the Coast, but also Rook's father, a fact unbeknownst to him until the settling of Bart's final affairs. Deep down, Rook had always suspected, as he grew up on Cayman Brack Island, under Bart's watchful eye. Rook extended his telescope to the harbour. Their captured frigate, incorrigible, led the way displaying friendly flags and signalling the proper code words. This was a complicated battle. The different pirate groups had varying interests. There were les Flibustiers, out of San Domingue, with their English cousins, the filibusters. The Samanabe buccaneers, led by the French capitaine, and the freebooters, led by Pierre Poilu, Le Grand. Chaos, however, had erupted the moment they arrived. Lavely Bustier were not where they were supposed to be, and the city was not taken. Everywhere Rook looked, it had been the same situation. The city defences had held them back, and they lost valuable time. Cannons fired from nearby Fort Carlisle, as incorrigible were secured on the causeway. Rook's crew seized townspeople fleeing for their lives. Once the hostages were secured aboard, they charged on the fort. Pirates scaled the walls, while acting quartermaster Quintin Winter stormed the gate. Once it was breached, Rook led the assault inside with cutlasses swinging. Guards were cut down quickly leaving blood splatters on the stone foundation. A messenger arrived, 
and Winter met up with him. Less than a minute later, the walls ruptured from cannonball blasts. Everyone scrambled for cover. Winter coughed. Is this according to plan? Rook snorted. Report, damn it. We have the armory, Winter said. There are still defenders holed up in the towers. They're barricaded in. Guess who? Captain Prince, yes, I'm aware of that part. Rook scanned both directions. Where is Coxon? Why don't we have the forts? Coxon hasn't landed yet. He's still outside the far fort, unable to get a foothold. We have the king's house to the market square. But Coxon's off target. He took a Spanish galleon across the harbour. Rook's shoulders dropped. He had warned Lawrence not to underestimate Port Royal. They had planned it down to the last detail. No one could be late, particularly Les Flibustiers, who were renowned for their lightning-fast seizure of fortresses and bridges. Curse Lawrence! He'll kill us all. His neck and face went red. We're cut off. Are we supposed to stay here with our dicks in our hands? Where's the Capitan? The Capitan failed to capture Fort James. He's taken the East India ships hostage at the Bonham Point docks, Winter said. Aye, he may have needed Lafley Bustier to support him. Explosions and heavy fire made them run. They ducked beyond the gate wall, crouching behind barrels. Flipped carriages and dead horses littered the streets. Rook glared up at the tower. Prince, the bloody slaver, must have his whole crew up there. I want his head and won't leave Port Royal without it. Should I press on ahead and get Tiny out? Winter asked. Tiny McAllister had volunteered to evacuate their spy, Glenda, the barmaid at the Swiftshire Tavern. Before they were able to make good their escape, both were arrested. This didn't concern Rook, as they had men inside the prisons ready to attack. No, we can't get to him now. Take hostages and occupy the market. Winter gave him a cold stare. It's just the way it is. We'll get him back. We can't take Fort Carlisle without backup. Where's our support? There's one more thing. Winter stopped him. Bloody Mary is docked by the wary bridge. Slasher Al is here and under a King James flag. Him and Ginger both. What the bleeding hell? Find out who hired him. Send someone to find Slasher Al, the rest of you with me. Keep low and hold out for backup. Rook wanted a confrontation. The entire plan was shot to hell. His grip tightened around his cutlass. When a runner returned with news, Rook and his men were led to the Crown and I Tavern. 
A crooked sign marked its entrance. A list of rules indicated no cockfighting, no flea-bitten tramps, and no duels by cutlass or pistol inside. Within, drunken pirates filled the wooden benches, raising their mugs and bellowing, Our ship was sailing from the east and going to the west. Loaded with silks and satins and velvets of the best. Some had passed out on the stone floor, snoring beside the fireplace. What is this? Rook sensed a bitter tang in his mouth as one of the pirates vomited into a barrel. Get up. Who's your captain? Captain Slazarelli, mate. A parrot belched, expelling a gust of stale ale. But we ain't seen him, said another. You been in here the whole time? Winter asked sharply. A drunken pirate looked up. What's the name of this place? Um... The crown and I, methinks, another replied, raising his mug. I claim this year tavern in the name of King James. Cups were raised. Here, here, Rook spat in their direction. Kill them all and seize their prisoners. Now... Oi, hang on, a pirate uttered. Rook stormed out as Winter and the men aimed their guns. Shots sounded, followed by the thud of dead bodies hitting the floor. He didn't know who had double-crossed him, but he vowed to find out. Miles Gladstone could smell the smoke of the burning city through the slit of a window in his cell in Marshalsea Prison. He patted his perspiring brown forehead and exhaled. Two days ago, he and Alban Jones had allowed themselves to be taken as prisoners. It was an old buccaneer trick to get behind enemy lines. To help liberate their friends and family, he and Jones were risking their lives by diving into the middle of the great pirate raid on Port Royal. Gladstone tiptoed over to the barred window to see the boat-infested harbour. It's a nest of vipers out there. Aye, it's making it look like a paradise in here, Jones said. Fire in the hall, someone yelled, followed by a grenade explosion coupled with footsteps and slamming metal. Take hostages and slaves. Free the prisoners, another voice said. Over here, Gladstone waved through the bars. Help! Over here! A bit more pirate-like, lad, Jones said. Arr! We're down here! Arr! A squad of pirates entered the corridor, shooting the guards. A red-haired pirate wearing a kilt grabbed the keys and unlocked the doors. 
Gladstone knew it was none other than Red Legs Greaves. Much obliged, Mr. Red Legs. He and Jones were reunited with Kimru's crew. You know what to do, Jones told them. Get the rest of the lads and make for the ship. It's a bloody war out there. Kimru is at the prison dock. She'll never be closer. I've got to find the captain's men, Gladstone said. I swore it, and I'm not leaving without a kenne, right? Well, off to hell for us, then. Right. Gladstone led them further down into the prison, where a mixture of sweat and blood hung in the air. They came to a gate where pirates had already broken in. Isn't this where they keep people who belong in prison? Jones pondered. Gladstone took the torch from the wall and held it out front. They followed the sound of a French dialect down the corridor. An emaciated, dirt-encrusted man unlocked the cages of his peers. He paused to stare at Gladstone and Jones. Are you with the captain? Gladstone asked. Jones tapped his shoulder. The code word. Ah, oh, la lune de miel? The man continued to stare. La lune de miel? Jones grimaced. I pray to God we're not saying anything romantic. Capitaine? The man gave them a look of acknowledgement. We, oui, the Capitaine, Gladstone said. Capitaine has come for us, the man called to his crewmates. I'm Gladstone, and this is Alban Jones. We're here to get you out. Beaumont, he indicated to another sickly crewman. Poivre. Whitlam is waiting in the harbor, lads. Jones assisted a pale, feverish man to his feet. Where are Mr. Picard and Louis? Poivre asked. Down there. Jones motioned to the stairs. After you, Mr. Gladstone, I insist. Gladstone entered the blackest, most cheerless hovel he'd ever set foot in. A man hung from shackles his arms above his head, while his body slumped partially to the ground. Rags hung from his chest and upper thighs, while the bones of his bloody kneecaps were exposed. Francois? Beaumont knelt beside him. Monsieur Picard? Le Picard tried to lift his head. I have looked better. Relieved, Beaumont unlocked the shackles. We're getting out of here. Gladstone entered a stone chamber. Another crewman was strapped into a wood and iron chair, his limbs trapped in a crushing vice. Gladstone gagged, then vomited in the corner. Once Lupicard was liberated, Beaumont carried him. Another crewman entered. Delacroix, help us with Martel. They watched helplessly. Mon Dieu! Louis, get him out of it. 
Le Picard ordered. Gladstone examined the device, shuddering. He couldn't get the stench of putrefying flesh and blood out of his nostrils. I will get you out. It's just where to begin, is all. Hurry, Le Picard said. I got to figure out how first. We could make him worse, or even kill him. Kill me, Martel uttered. We'll get you out, mate. Hold on, Le Picard said. This is gonna take a while. Emotion drained from Jones' face. The Capitan said to get you out first. He met Lopicar's eyes. This delays things. Help Mr. Picard to the ship, and we'll follow shortly. I am not going without him. Beaumont lowered Lopicar beside the chair. Get the men to safety and report to the Capitan. Beaumont and Delacroix departed. Gladstone released the pressure from one of the arm vices. Martel shrieked. He's been like this a long time, Jones remarked. We can get him out, Gladstone's jaw clenched. It's just a matter of loosening these hinges carefully. You two go. Tell the captain that I'll wait here with Louis. Gladstone didn't want to give up but he felt as though he was doing more harm than good. You must go, Francois, Martel rasped. Look at me, huh? Am I going to sprint out of here? Jump a fence, maybe? Le Picard gave a weak smile. I'll make you a bet that I can last longer than you. You are losing already, so get on with it, Louis. He spat out a mouthful of blood. We are getting out of here. This is the last job, and we're set for life. Don't give up. Easy for you to say. Jones motioned to the way out. I'll tell the Capitan. Gladstone abandoned the chair. I'll send help. I swear it. It was sunset when Gladstone, Jones, and the captain's crew reached High Street. It's straight down High Street to the end. You can't miss it, Jones said. They parted ways. Gladstone and Jones continued and encountered a group of Barbary janissaries clad in deep red and burgundy muslin silks, brandishing nimcha swords and battle axes. Does this look right to you? Jones asked. Gladstone's knees suddenly felt weak. No, this is not according to our plan. Jones exhaled a few short breaths. That's Captain Mandingo. King Kabaka! To his friends. Kabaka secured his weapons in a leather belt around his waist. Why do we not yet have a second prison? He asked his second in command. 
the English tell at the Bridewell prison. Take the slaves to the garage. Kabaka's voice boomed. Attack the other prison. The Barbary Janissaries cheered and charged forth. Gladstone met Jonda's disbelieving gaze. Come on, that's where we'll find them. If he recognizes us, we're dead. They followed along Thames Street, passing a row of chained slaves being dragged along. Gladstone glanced over and thought he spotted a familiar face. Unsure at first, he did a double-take. Akene? Akene struggled to look up. Keep moving, Negro, or it's back to the pit for you, a pirate said. That man there is part of our crew, Jones argued. Slaves are to be boarded on the galleys. What's the hold up? Lord Crisp is waiting. Move it, yelled a pirate captain. We're not slaves, you imbecile, the pirate growled. We're on account. Arrest that one, the pirate captain indicated. Gladstone. Jones lurched forward. These men are my crew. I demand they be treated as such. Royal Rook and Quinton Winter pushed through the crowd with pistols drawn. Who's in charge here? Rook demanded. Who's asking? The pirate captain said. Captain Castle of the Brethren of the Coast. Winter replied. Who are you? Captain Lazarus of DeFortine. You work for Crisp? I, I have a letter of mark signed by Lord Crisp on behalf of Lord Dua. The orders are to secure the prisons. We're late because our French filibuster support didn't arrive. Crisp and his kind are not part of the plan, Rook said. Our goal is the same. Capture Port Royal in the name of King James. These men are my supply train. Captain Lazarus turned to his men. Hurry up, let them go. Unchain that one, he goes with them. Akene joined Gladstone. Rook gave the captain a menacing stare. You're stealing slaves. We're ordered to keep all the slaves on the galleys until the city is secured. I'm in command of the operation, not crisp. All hostages and slaves will be evenly distributed. Rook addressed Jones. Move all your able-bodied men to High Street. Prepare to take the governor's mansion. Kabaka captured the women's prison, a pirate said. He's sending female slaves and prisoners back for transport. Evenly distributed, Rook reiterated. Divert them, Captain Lazarus ordered. Take the female prisoners and slaves to Le Grand on Church Street. Rook drew his blade at the sight of John Coxon emerging from the holding docks. There's the bastard. Weapons and voices were raised on both sides. Gladstone knew Coxon. He was a privateer in the 1670s and had a falling out with Port Royal, 
when war became illegal with Spain. Coxon joined the French and had served France ever since. You left men to die, Rook said. Gladstone whispered to Jones, I think it's time to make a discreet exit. I better get to the ship, men. Do you remember your way around Port Royal? Gladstone asked Ekene. No. Gladstone turned out his pockets to unearth a rock, dried berries, a crumpled piece of parchment containing the water system for serenity, and a fingernail's length of chalk. I know, I'll draw you a map. He flattened the paper and wrote a short note on the blank portion after sketching a rough map. You're going to catch up with the Capitaine with this message. Let him know what's going on here. Where are you going? Akene turned the note upside down, trying to decipher it. We're taking the governor's mansion. Gladstone tried to sound confident. A handful of slaves loaded cases into a carriage, while Mrs. Catherine Valentine ran around Valentine Mansion, tucking pieces of silverware into a satchel. Pirates outside smashed windows and fired shots into her home. A bell rang upstairs, signaling that her elderly mother wanted something. My husband said this wouldn't happen. Why do I listen to the feeble old fool? She gathered her royal blue skirt trimmed with pearls to run faster. How did it come to this? Mrs. Valentine thought. Growing up, she'd had over a hundred slaves and had never had to worry about pirates attacking her in her own home. Then she met Arthur Valentine in Tortuga when he was a famous privateer. They married in Port Royal in 1665, when the city was overflowing with wealth from Spanish raids. At the altar, when the priest asked for the ring, Art presented her with a box of rings, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and sapphires. She chose the largest diamond and sapphire ring she had ever seen. Those days were the best. She had married a pirate and learned the hard way that they didn't age well. Her assistant, Miss Givings, trailed behind her, gathering anything of value. What about Lady Crosshatch? Forget her! The old die. It's a part of life. You're so right, Lady Valentine. Mrs. Valentine rushed to the carriage house to see whether her dresses had been loaded. Cutthroats cornered her with cutlasses drawn. What is this? she demanded. That should be obvious. Miss Givings drew a bodice dagger. I'm not taking your shit anymore, because you'll be dead. Mrs. Valentine stuck her nose in the air. And to think I took you in, Miss Givings, you were highly recommended. A cutthroat handed a pistol to Miss Givings. You want the honours? I hope you're being paid well, Mrs. Valentine remarked. 
better than I ever was from you, and it's much more rewarding. Misgivings aimed the weapon. I longed for this moment, you wretched cow. Barking dogs drew near. Then came the thunderous boom of a blunderbuss. The cutthroats fell. Jagged Jane aimed his pistols at misgivings and fired. She shot back. Don't come any closer! Misgivings put a knife to Mrs. Valentine's throat. Jane charged, clobbering her with the butt end of the blunderbuss. Misgivings fell. Jaded June! Mrs. Valentine exclaimed. Thank God for you! Maybe now I'll get that pay raise. Most certainly. The dogs continued to bark. Enough! Jane clapped his hands. Stop! Quiet! Forget him, stupid dogs! He addressed Mrs. Valentine. Ready for a carriage ride? The dog stampeded into the vehicle, barking with jubilation. Not you, Jane said. Mrs. Valentine yelled. Down! The dogs buried their heads against the upholstery, while Jane kneeled on the ground. She gave him a look. Perhaps I misjudged you. Jane rose, ready to head back inside. Get ready to move out. I'll be right back with Lady Crossetch. Mrs. Valentine climbed aboard. No, we must leave now. Aye, my lady. Where will we go? The governor's mansion is blocked. Queen Street is secured. Captain Morris is expecting us at Water Lane presently. Miss Gibbings groaned and rolled over. She's still alive. Kill her. I have to endure finding a new assistant anyway. No, we have to bring her with us, Jane said. Art'll want to talk with this one. Load her on the carriage and get ready to go. Mrs. Valentine signaled her slaves. Fine. Load the treacherous tart on the cart. Bleedon Art patted Cupid through the bars of her cage on the seat beside him. McCaskill sat opposite, while Scarcliff tapped out a coded message on the door to the carriage house at the governor's mansion. Art listened closely to the response that came a few seconds later. Aye, it's him. About bloody time, too. Open the gate. Scarcliff released a bolt and opened the doors. They were besieged by Ginger, Spider, and a handful of pirates with guns and blades. Where you been? Art asked Ginger. Sick bastard! Cupid squawked from her cage. Ginger fired. There was an explosion of feathers and blood. Scarcliff was unable to reach his pistol, which he'd left in the carriage. McCaskill went for his, but was hit in the face with the butt of a long gun. And when Art went for his, he received half a dozen barrels aimed at his head. Aye, Ginger, about the rays we discussed earlier, I think it's a damn fine idea. Too late, Art. You're my hostage now. 
Everyone get inside. And it's Captain Ginger now, Mr. Captain, Ott scoffed. McCaskill rose slowly, dazed. And we'll do what the captain says then, right? Lead the way inside. Hostages out front for shields, Ginger said. Art slowly climbed down, his knees buckling. You shot my Cupid, you bastard. He removed a pistol from a secret compartment in the carriage and fired. And I'm Captain. You're not worthy of such a title. A stunned Ginger fell on his knees to the ground. McCaskill tossed a gun to Scarcliffe, who struck one of the pirates on the back of the head. Retreat! Art dashed inside the adjoining servant's entrance to the kitchen. We'll handle this like shepherds and get the flock out, McCaskill said. When Scarcliffe caught up, he bolted the door. I'll hold him off while you get out the back. Really? How nice of you, Art said. But I have a better idea. Outside, the pirates tried to break down the door. I'm hit, Ginger roared. We lost him, another pirate declared. A shot was fired and a thud sounded. You lost him. Now spread out and find another way in. Second floor, Spider said. Find him, but don't kill him, Ginger instructed and then yelled. I'm gunning for ya, bleeding Art. Art found a door leading into the kitchen. This way. McCaskill and Scarcliffe followed. After barricading the door with sacks of flour, they loaded their pistols. I did tell you so, McCaskill said. Aye, you did. Bloody red mountain beast, that one. I should have listened. It don't come closer than that. Scarcliffe caught his breath. The pantry door swung open, and a red-haired man entered with a dark, broad-billed parrot on his shoulder. Bleed an art, Lucas O'Malley began. Just the man I was looking for. His dark-haired twin brothers aimed their guns. Lucas, Art gave a painful grin. I swear to you, I had nothing to do with your sisters. I swear it. The parrot swooped into the kitchen, landing on the table beside a bowl of nuts. I'm not here to kill you, Art. Art's body stiffened. No? Think of it as protective custody. Well, things could be worse, Art thought. Acting Lieutenant Governor Dorcas Dewar posed for his statue in the smoking lounge of the Governor's Mansion. Adorned in his finest blue and gold jacket, black velvet trousers, and red velvet codpiece, he paused for a mouthful of wine and a pinch of snuff from a silver box. I want the codpiece to be four feet long. Eat the wood crack and fall off. 
the sculptor used a metal rasp to smooth the clay edges. That's the problem with sculpting, Llewellyn tut-tutted, straightening his purple ceremonial sash of victory. Statues have limitations. Sleeman's paced near the window, looking out every few minutes. Are you sure you want to do this now? Of course now, Dua sneezed, projecting mucus across the room. You didn't notice the plan's gone all wrong. Has it? Llewellyn peered out the window. I hadn't noticed. We can't go now. He's posing for his statue. We're winning. Dua posed heroically, his chest puffed out. Yes, a statue for the new bank in honor of my heroic battle. Operation P-R-O-D. Sleeman's head cocked. P-R-O-D? Port Royal on the defensive, Llewellyn said. Well, it's certainly living up to its name. Was it Cap'n Valentine's idea? Dua pushed his chest out even further. Yes, but I named it. We captured Port Royal in the name of King James and trapped all the pirates belonging to the Brethren of the Coast in one fell swoop. I'm about ready for a movement, I think, Dua remarked. I'm going to have a movement if the bombing gets any closer, Sleeman said. I preferred the coup d'etat myself. Sleeman's crossed the patio and leaned over the rail. There are pirates in the courtyard. The fighting's getting closer. I haven't seen Captain Valentine cross over from the church yet. I think I should see what's delaying him. Good thinking, Sleemans. Go have a look for them. Find out why it's so damn noisy downstairs. Sleemans went for the door. After all, we wouldn't want anything bad to happen to Valentine now, would we? Dua added. They all paused and then burst out laughing. From outside, an explosion shook the building. Llewellyn dived under a table, while Dua spilled his drink and watched his statue topple. Smoke filled the room. Someone's got to pay for that, Dua huffed. Yes, and right now it's running about 900 doubloons, Llewellyn said. Sleemans crawled on his belly to the patio to take a peek. Don't be a coward. Get a look, Dua said. Pirates have breached the perimeter and are coming inside. No, just a lucky shot, Llewellyn replied. There's still English flags flying at all the forts. Sleemans gave him a look. And where are the forts? Out there. Llewellyn pointed. Somewhere behind all the smoke. And where are the pirates? Llewellyn suddenly clued in. Oh, yes, I see your point. Perhaps we should evacuate. A wise idea. Well, my statue is ruined anyway. Next time... Go, Marble.
Llewellyn said to the sculptor. You can go now. Where should I go? The sculptor replied. Away is a good start, don't you think? The sculptor grabbed his belongings and scurried off. Glad we're not paying him until it's finished, Llewellyn remarked. Prepare to evacuate the acting lieutenant governor and his family, Sleemans instructed the guards. Dewar's shoulders dropped. Not back to Ligania again. My wife's not going to like it, Llewellyn said. Well, first things first. Dewar grabbed a copy of The New World Today and went to the closet next door, where he'd had a privy installed. His codpiece got caught in the door on the way in, but he eventually dislodged it. In the hallway, there came a commotion and a thud, like a potato sack dropping. It's too heavy, one of the guards complained. Is everything all packed? Dewar called, skimming through the fashionist section. Yes, I had everything prepared earlier, Sleeman said. Dewar looked down at the wooden bench. Balderdash, I hate these indoor things. They make such a god-awful mess. You're supposed to flip the lid up, Sleeman said. But the smell is revolting. I say the wealthy elite should be able to just shit on the floor and have slaves clean it up. I have a thought, Llewellyn remarked. There's a first time for everything, Sleemans uttered. Why don't we use the Spanish visitors as a decoy? Captain White already did so, Sleemans explained. Our Spanish guests were moved to Villa de la Vega. Sounds Spanish. Is it far away? Spanish town. Oh, right. Over there. Ready when you are, sir. Yes, yes, yes. Where's my sponge? Dua looked side to side. On the rack behind you. Ah, yes, there it is. My name is on it. The Dua Backside Sponge Stick. Good thing we labelled it. I'd hate to wash my face with one of these again. What a bad day. There is a certain amount of danger, sir. It seems soft enough, Sleemans sighed. From enemy fire, sir. We'll take the back servant's exit. We're not going to pass for servants this time, Llewellyn said. We must collect your families and get out. I don't want to listen to their nattering. I'd be better off in here. We'll send for them later. Sleemans cleared his throat. Neither of you appears to comprehend the situation. Enemy pirates have compromised the perimeter. Shit or get off the pot is taking on a whole new meaning. The privy door swung open, and both Sleemans and Llewellyn buried their noses in their sleeves. Dewa took a red glass bottle off the shelf and showered himself in a floral bouquet of rose water and orange blossoms. Much better, 
A sneezing fit ensued, projecting mucus onto Llewellyn's shoulder. It's a sign of affection. I'll wear it with pride, sir. Shall we be off? Yes, please, Sleeman said. Gladstone and Jones followed Royal Rook to the east side of the carriage house at the governor's mansion. Debris cluttered the streets, and smoke hung heavy around them. They ran for cover at the sight of gunpowder barrels rolling into the archway of the carriage house before exploding. Are the O'Malley's here? Rook asked. Aye, they captured Bleeding Art. Governor Dewar and his staff are on the top floor, and their families are in their chambers. Winter indicated a gateway. Through there. We've got to get them before Ginger does. They continued to the courtyard, where an injured Ginger and his men gathered. Gladstone's heartbeat thrashed in his ears. There's the traitorous bastard. Get him, Rook ordered. Shots fired from Ginger's group. Rook shot back. You shall have no quarter, Ginger. The brethren will have vengeance. They chased Ginger to the charred carriage house and cornered him. Hold your fire. Another pirate arrived, holding a pistol to the head of a female hostage, Lady Llewellyn. Rook aimed his weapon, and a standoff ensued. No, you don't. Stand down, your men. I claim these hostages as my own, Captain Cossel. As per the agreement. You broke the agreement, younger. You're working for Crisp, and that throwback to Brock Brasiliano. I'm following orders. A contract signed by you. You let us go, or I start killing. Lauren said no killing, Jones added. It's in the contract. Younger smirked. Lawrence ain't here, and his plan's gone to shit. If the contract stands, Captain Cussell, you better abide by it. You have the governor's mansion and the governor. I get their families as my hostages. That's the plan. He pushed the pistol harder against Lady Llewellyn's head. She sobbed even more. Decide now. There's plenty more back here. Rook lowered his weapon. Younger dragged the hostages through the carriage house and disappeared. You can't let them go, Captain Cossel, Gladstone said. We're in the middle of a battle. This is not the time to be fighting among ourselves. You know what Ginger will do, Jones said. We each have hostages and we must press on. We've lost too much time as it is. Take the governor's mansion as planned. Rook scowled at Ginger. I know where to find you. Gladstone and Jones followed Winter inside. They searched the first and second floors, then contained all prisoners. 
It occurred to Gladstone he'd never been in the governor's mansion before. Dozens of rooms housed fine furniture, lush Persian carpets, and enormous mirrors in gold frames. The top floor revealed walls dressed in a shiny, sky-blue textile, with a rose garden pattern, moulded ceilings, marble pillars, and crystal chandeliers. They ran into the O'Malley's, who had a dozen pirates guarding Bleeding Art and Dr. McCaskill. Behind them, Governor Dewar, Lord Llewellyn, and Sleemans came down the hall and then backtracked. Stay where you are, Governor, Lucas O'Malley said. There's been a slight change in plan, Governor, sir, Art began. Dewar charged at them, his codpiece bouncing. What is this? An argy, McCaskill snapped. What's it look like? We've been had, my lord. What? Dewar did a double take. We have. Aye, Ginger's betrayed me. He tried to kill us downstairs in the stable, Art said. They've taken your family's hostage as well, Gladstone added. My family? That's not part of the plan, was it? Mine too. What a dirty, rotten trick, Llewellyn gasped. They sold us out to Lord Crisp, Art said. Crisp, Sleemans hesitated. How do you know this? We got word from a bird. Half these pirates are working for Crisp to take Jamaica from us. You mean to say we've been double-crossed by the bastards we were double-crossing? Dewar pondered. Does that make it a quadruple cross? Or do they cancel each other out? Llewellyn said. Then why are you prisoners? Sleeman scrutinized the brigade of pirates. We like to call it protective custody, if you don't mind. Elias and Aidan O'Malley spoke simultaneously. These are the spawn of Cormac the Pikey, Art said. They saved our sterns, you might say. Pikeys! Llewellyn wrung his hands together. I hope you used the servant's entrance. Smells like it. Lucas wrinkled his nose. Lucas O'Malley, captain of Lucky Charms, Captain Castle of the Brethren of the Coast, is assuming command of the mission, and we support him in his cause. We hereby capture you in the name of King James. I'm not taking orders from Irish cave dwellers, Dua recoiled. I'd never be able to look in a mirror again. I'll fix you up nice so you won't want to. Lucas gave a maniacal grin. I'd prefer to kill the likes of you, you filthy slavers. That's unwarranted. Llewellyn brushed the dust off his jacket. We're fictitiously clean. Thank you. Crisp's men are here to kill you. What's your choice? Dua shrugged. Well, at least I won't have to clean up the mess. 
Llewellyn was at a temporary loss for words. You mean, we've been had by Crisp this whole time? Excellent, Lord Larry, McCaskill applauded. This is why he's in government. Nothing gets past him. It doesn't matter if he has the Mongol hordes. We rule Port Royal, and we have the support of the people, Dewa affirmed. What can Crisp do? Support, McCaskill scoffed. There's looting and rioting in the Merchant Exchange. The people are revolting. I've always thought so myself, but a necessary part of society. Someone's got to be the peasants and clean up the shirt, Llewellyn said. Revolting, as in mutiny. Royal Rook entered with Winter, having finished their search. Rook, good to see you. Art stared at the large black eye patch. You're looking... He's lost weight, McCaskill said. Where are my children? Dewa insisted. Yes, I demand them back at once. Llewellyn crossed his arms over his chest. His and mine. They may not be perfect, but they suit us just fine. Dua leaned over to his friend. Who are we talking about now? Your families have been taken by Harris the Younger, Gladstone said. And if we're gonna get him back, we'll have to work together. We still don't know whether your wife is all right, Captain Valentine. Art grimaced. I didn't ask. I see you got my message, Captain Castle, Lucas said. I did, Captain O'Malley, and trust the information to be genuine. Oh, the information is genuine enough? Artia! Gladstone's pitch rose. The heels of her boots connected heavily against the floorboards. Her curly red mane hung over one shoulder, while Minwi perched on the other. Her peridot green dress was saturated in blood, as were the silver stilettos strapped around her waist. Miles, she smiled. Hello, Art. There's me whiskey kisses, girl. A little redder than last we met. Art grinned widely. Yes, a psychotic wench to the rescue. Hurrah! Dua thundered. We're saved. That's not fooling anyone. Atya scrutinized the red codpiece. It's all true. Chris bled you into this, like lambs to the slaughter. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from No Quarter, Wenches, Volume 5. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.